Hello and welcome to FX Talk, an eBrew podcast all about the foreign exchange market, where we break down some of the main news headlines in financial markets and give our take on what these developments might mean for the world of FX. My name is Matthew Ryan, Head of Market Strategy here at eBrew, and I'm joined as always on the podcast by two of my colleagues, our Chief Risk Officer Enrique Diaz-Alvarez and Senior Market Analyst Roman Zuruk. Welcome back to another episode of FX Talk. And since our last episode, the major news headlines have been dominated by the ongoing conflict between Israel and Palestine following Hamas attacks on Israel a little over a week ago and the retaliatory actions we've seen from the Israeli military. In financial markets, however, attention continues to be mostly on economic data and central bank decision making. Following our last episode, most currencies rebounded from their lows against the US dollar after a handful of Federal Reserve policymakers struck a dovish tone and poured cold water over the possibility of more US rate hikes. But uh, we've seen broad dollar strength again in the past week or so, partly following the latest US inflation data, which came in modestly stronger than expected. Euro dollar is hovering just above 10-month lows, amid concerns over the state of the eurozone economy, while sterling dollar is trading just above its lowest level since March, following some soft UK GDP data and some vague comments from Bank of England members, which provided no real clarity on UK interest rates. In the G10, the best performers in the past week have been the safe havens, notably the US dollar, and the Swiss franc. But what has driven this move higher in the low-risk assets? Do we think this is a direct consequence of the war in the Middle East? And what potential impact do we think the conflict could have on financial markets in the near term? What do you guys think? Um, I've been a bit surprised, frankly, by the absence of impact um, outside of uh, very specific uh, local assets in the area. Um, The the usual trade that we see in situations like this with uh, enhanced geopolitical risk, which is uh, flight to uh, safety, flight to the U.S. dollar, flight to the Swiss franc, flight to the Japanese yen, and more importantly, flight to U.S. treasuries as uh, refuge assets. Uh, we're not seeing that at all. Uh, markets have been extremely blasé. Um, they're, dis- they're, they're pricing in almost no uh, financial or, frankly, macroeconomic impact. Uh, even the oil price has barely budged from before the uh, the attacks. Um, Clearly, the markets are very, very, uh, very ha- have reacted very calmly about, uh, and and they're expecting the conflict to remain contained um, in, in to 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 the area. Initially, there was some impact. Uh, I mean, we have seen uh, some rally in gold, uh, rally in oil prices, some currencies uh, like safe haven franc, the US dollar, benefiting particularly the the franc. Uh, we have also uh, seen, uh, I think, a decrease in, in US yields uh, in, in the face of it. And when it comes to risk assets, however, uh, I didn't see any significant impact. And in fact, this uh, decline in, in US yields uh, actually might have supported uh, many of the uh, risky assets. Uh, so this this didn't uh, really resulted in a significant uh, fly away from from risk. Um, so far, the impact is concern, uh, contained, uh, but uh, it the future uh, lies on whether there will be an escalation 
that would go beyond Gaza. Uh, and uh, if we see the activation of other uh, agents in the region, if we see activation of uh, Iran, for instance, then this would be something that uh, would likely spook the markets uh, and lead to some additional volatility. But uh, right now, I think the, the market, as Enrique is saying, as Enrique said, is, are quite blasé. Uh, but we are still waiting uh, what's going to happen uh, in Gaza uh, and perhaps beyond. No, no, I, I agree. Um, in the case of Tressors, however, um, it's... It's almost like we're seeing a regime shift where the, the wall of supply that is going to hit the market because of the massive borrowing needs by the U.S. government seems to be obliterating any other concern. So um, it's it's really, on the one hand, you could interpret this, this the fact that yields are back to nearly the highs of last week. You could interpret it as uh, markets being blasé about uh, and, and relax about the impact of the uh, of the conflict but um you could also take it as as an impact of how worried markets fixed income markets are about this 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 tsunami of issuance that is coming from the u.s government so it's back to the old story yeah quite possibly i agree and then uh, you said you know, the fall has been quite limited i would i would i would, I would concur with that I and mean, i think we we have seen some modest safe haven flows, at least in the currency markets. The dollar has rallied, the Swiss franc has outperformed, but these have not been major moves. They've been pretty contained thus far. Um, I mean, where do we go from here? I, mean, I think, uh, as you guys have touched upon, I, mean, I certainly would be keeping an eye on, on commodity prices, um, particularly oil. I mean, I think that's probably where the biggest risk lies. And should we see a wider conflict in the Middle East, notably, you know, if the likes of Saudi Arabia or Iran, as you mentioned, Roman, if those two countries were to be involved in the conflict, um, we could start seeing some issues of oil supply, given that those two nations are two of the, the largest oil producers in the world, um, which would yeah, risk another move upward in oil prices, um, which could be both bad for global growth could be inflationary at the same time. So we could see a situation whereby uh, actually central bankers and central banks keep rates higher for longer as a result of the conflict, potentially. Uh, and I would say some may even consider additional hikes should oil prices uh, move up um, enough. But, uh, but certainly at any rate, investors will be, will be on edge, uh, even if the, the moves we've seen have been contained thus far. Investors will no doubt be watching these developments very closely as they evolve uh, in, in the coming few days and weeks. Um, now, as mentioned, last week's US inflation data also came in stronger than expected, which can partly explain this move upwards that we've seen in the US dollar. Uh, the US core rate of inflation dropped in line with consensus to a two-year low 4.1%, but the headline rate unexpectedly remained unchanged at 3.7% versus a 3.6% estimate. Uh, the US dollar rallied by not far off 1% against its major peers. Um, now, I'd like to hear your guys' thoughts on this, because I, I wonder if this was a, a bit of an overreaction, given how modest the upside surprise was. Uh, maybe perhaps this was uh, the market uh, preparing for a softer number than economists. That, that may well have been the case. Or it may even have been the details in the report that concerned investors, notably the resilience that we saw in US services inflation. Uh, what do you both think? Um, and does this data, do you think this data warrants another rate hike from the Federal Reserve? 
I mean, the report was overall very noisy. It's hard to extract any clear-cut conclusions from it. Um, it it was on the on the margin. It was, uh, I think, uh, bad news for the Federal Reserve um, because. The categories that surprise to the upside were categories, categories that tend to be stickier, in particular um, uh, rent and, and and housing prices in general in the U.S., in spite of the sky-high mortgage rates, have actually bottomed out and are going up again, which is not what you would expect to see at this part of the cycle. Um, we had then this this um, moderate bad news in inflation followed up by, by, by clear evidence that the the job market in the U.S. is nowhere near cooling. It's still very it's operating at or above uh, uh, the, uh, the the full employment levels. So I think that's that's that combined again with this this wall of supply that uh, is is that markets have finally realized is about to hit the U.S. fixed income market from the U.S. government is is what driving medium and long term rates up. In terms of uh, the short term, in terms of the Federal Reserve de- decisions, I don't think uh, the inflation data is is enough to change my view that we are done, uh, that there's not going to be another hike, and that. But that, uh, however, uh, whereas f- rates above five percent with the current inflation of you know running at around four percent, three and a half to four percent rate may be enough to to continue to cool it down. I think that we could be moving to a situation in which 5% is as much a floor under rates as a ceiling. Um, and so all these expectations for cuts, I wouldn't be surprised if we move to a situation where there's essentially no cuts uh, priced in at all for next year or even into 2025. I think that's a bit of an extreme view uh, among the three of us. Mm. I think that the market reaction was an overreaction. Uh, I was quite surprised that uh, the US dollar benefited so much from it. Uh, and uh, I was surprised that markets started again, considering the real possibility that we might get another interest rate hike, because the difference uh, versus expectations was not particularly significant. Um, the core inflation uh, was not that bad. We, uh, looking even at our favored uh, rate, uh, we have seen an increase to what? To around 3%, uh, which is uh, considering what we have been through uh, for the past few years, uh, a very low rate of inflation. And uh, I think many economic areas right now would prefer to have uh, such an inflation rate. Uh, Even uh, Eurozone and many, many other uh, developed economic areas. So uh, I I think that the market is just uh, does not know what to do at this point and is looking for any clues uh, what is going to to happen next. But I don't think that we are going to to get an interest rate hike. I think we would probably need to have uh, consistent upside support prices in inflation and something more than just uh, than the headline that we had last week. Uh, we'd probably need to have a consistent upward, uh, upward surprises in economic activity data and perhaps also uh, something that would uh, increase the prices of oil. Uh, so yeah, in, in the current environment, uh, I think it's very unlikely that we are going to see 
further tightening in the US, particularly, and this is something also that some members of the FMC alluded to, that uh, rise in the uh, longer term yields, it is equivalent to, to tightening. So in fact, there perhaps is not no need to do that in the context of it. Uh, also, the strength of the US dollar, uh, this also uh, can be seen as, as a tightening. So uh, I think that the arguments uh, are not in favor of uh, doing more. And as for the cuts, um, probably they are still some way into the future, um, but I would be very surprised if we didn't get cuts next year. And I think that the case for cuts, even in the first half of the year, uh, is still there. Yes. No, no, I, I agree with you there, Roman. I think, um, yeah, I, I, I still don't see enough arguments to warrant uh, an additional rate hike in the US. Um, I think we would need to see maybe a couple more uh, inflation data that, that surprises the upside. Maybe a couple more non-farm payrolls reports that, that continue to show resilience in order to to, to tip the balance in favour of another hike. Um, but but having said that, no, I, I, I do I do see the argument that would suggest that no rate cuts for for some time yet. Um, and yeah, I, I'm sort of in between the two of you, and I, I, I I'm more on more of the opinion that we might have to wait till next the second half of next year for the first cut. But at the same time, I don't see a situation where they they don't cut at all in twenty twenty four. I think by the by the second half of next year, I think they'll be in a, in a place where inflation is coming down. Maybe the U.S. economy is is starting to show signs of slowing, uh, and that would force the first rate cut potentially at some point second half of next year. So Roman first half, Matthew second half, Enrique first half of two thousand twenty five. Yeah, that's where we are. Okay. Nice to have a, <laughs> a nice uh, array of opinion. Great. Uh, we're going to move on now. And, uh, and one of the main event risks for markets next week, at least, uh, is the latest European Central Bank meeting, which will take place on Thursday, the 26th of October. Now, recent economic news out of the Eurozone has been disappointing. Uh, a recession was avoided uh, earlier in the year following up revision to previous data. But growth has been essentially non-existent this year. Uh, well, the latest uh, PMIs, the business activity PMIs, do not paint an encouraging picture either. The composite index remains pinned below the level of 50, which suggests a contraction could be on the way in the third quarter of the year. As the September inflation data out of the Eurozone has also surprised to the downside, notably the core measure, which dropped 08 Percentage points to just 4.5%, which is the lowest level since August 2022. Uh, this is further weighed on the euro as markets are not only writing off the possibility of another ECB rate hike, but are also bringing forward the timing of rate cuts. Uh, so, does this pave the way for another dovish message at next week's ECB meeting? What do you guys think? And do we expect any surprises or maybe a low key announcement? I mean, no, the ECB is less given to surprises than almost any other major central bank out there. So if the markets are expecting unanimously no change, that's what we're going to get. I Again, um, we've had one uh, couple of uh, good reports in inflation uh, out of the European Union, out of the Eurozone, after many bad ones. Uh, still, it's, it's hard for me to see how rates that are not even at 4% can can be good enough to bring down inflation in the Eurozone that is at a core level somewhere around 5%. Uh, so whereas I do not 
see any hikes in, in, in the immediate horizon. I think that at the very least, we're going to see uh, steady rates for much longer than the market expects. Um, and I still not. I still think, frankly, that in the eurozone, uh, the next move is more likely to be up than down in rate. I am very skeptical that that the, the three seventy five or four somewhere between three seventy five and four percent effective rates are sufficient, anywhere near sufficient to to bring that core inflation from near five to two uh, percent. So no hike next in the next meeting, but a very very clear chance of additional hikes and we're very very far away from any cuts in my view i don't think that this is going to be an important meeting and i think we entered a period where most of the meetings uh, won't be important and um, because this this should be a period where uh, ecb keeps rates unchanged for some time because uh, in particularly in the face of uh, economic slowdown and risk that we are witnessing so uh, when it comes to this meeting next week we won't get uh, any economic forecasts this time uh, and the chance of hike is practically zero uh, or uh, the probability of any uh, change in interest rate uh, when it comes to the tone uh, i think it should be cautious uh, because the evidence is piling up that the the economy is not doing so so good uh, hopefully it won't turn into anything uglier uh, but uh, we'll just have to wait to find out but uh, when it comes to to meetings um, i think until the end of the year maybe even until the beginning of next year uh, the meetings won't have uh, much uh, importance and a strong impact on the euro yeah i mean i, th- I would i would i would side with that I and mean, i think a dovish message, a cautious message, as you say, is probably almost guaranteed, really. I mean, if we look at latest data, the Eurozone activity data has been very soft. As I said, the composite index is is still stuck below the level of 50. Inflation is now finally coming down in a more clear and, and meaningful way. Um, and there's real, really, I don't think any benefit for the ECB to end the hiking cycle in any sort of formal sense. I think they'll probably just sit on their hands for the next few months uh, and see what happens. Um, and actually, yeah, I think we may be going back to sort of the old model whereby these central bank announcements are only really important at every other meeting, i.e. when the economic projections are released, which won't be until the following meeting. So um, so probably a low-key announcement, I would say, next week. But of course, they do have pension for, for surprising their investors, so we can't really rule anything out at this stage. <laughs> lastly, we want to hear from Roman because one of the main political news stories over the weekend came out of Poland, where the ruling Law and Justice Party is said to be ousted from government following this month's parliamentary election, with opposition parties securing enough support to form a coalition government. Uh, so over to you, Roman. What did we see from the election? What does it mean? And what impact has this had on the Polish Slotty? It was definitely a historic moment for Poland. Uh, it's uh, first because of the turnout, because we had a, a super uh, big turnout, 74%, or actually a bit over that. Uh, it is the highest turnout in any vote since the fall of communism in 1989, so since when, when we have uh, free elections. Uh, and this uh, shows just how important these elections were for us. Uh, but second, uh, as you mentioned, this uh, is uh, a significant change in political landscape in Poland. Law and justice, uh, which has been in power for the 
past eight years, uh, received the largest number of votes. Uh, but uh, the democratic opposition of the three parties, so Civic Coalition, Third Way and New Left, received a majority of votes. So this opens up the way for this coalition government made of these parties. Uh, and this government is expected to be very different from the previous two. Uh, when it comes to the impact uh, on market, it was clear and it was very positive. We witnessed gains across asset classes uh, and the Zloty ended yesterday's session up 1.8% against the euro, uh, which means that it has performed the best uh, since March 2022. Uh, and today it continues to rally, it continues to appreciate and performs better than other currencies in the region uh, and uh, it's it doesn't uh, stop to, to it, it doesn't lose fuel uh, when it comes to uh, why investors are so positive about this new government is that they are thinking that uh, they believe and they have uh, strong reasons to to believe that it's going to be a liberal pro eu uh, and a one that is set to uphold the rule of law much better than the current one uh, so this is seen as uh, bringing the disbursement of the EU recovery fund closer uh, and also uh, as reducing the risk of further uh, problems uh, in our relationship with the EU. So uh, this could also mean an overall better investment climate. And that's it from us. If you're keen to hear more about our thoughts on the FX market, visit Ebreed's website or follow us on social media. And don't forget to rate and review the podcast on your favorite podcast app. And let us know if there are any topics you'd like to hear more on during upcoming episodes. Keep an eye out for our next episode in a fortnight's time. Thank you all very much for listening. <laughs>